for those of you here in the building, but also those who are on the live stream. I know a number of people who have indicated they would be watching on live stream, and so welcome here. I can't see you, but I know you're here, uh, and so uh, that's good to have you with us. I would just uh, make a comment about the live stream or a question, and that is um, I'd be happy to receive any feedback those of you who are on the live stream would, would offer to me. Um, I've been told by some that the quality of the sound and picture is, is good for, for your needs and you're happy with that, but um, if it becomes a priority, if you give me the feedback, we certainly could improve that with lighting and cameras. Uh, cost a little bit, but that is something we could do. Um, and the other thing is, I imagine, in my imagination, I'm not watching the live stream, so I don't know if this is true, but in my imagination, I think it would be good to have the chat in the live stream. So, uh, so that you could at least say hi to each other and know that there's others watching it with you. So if you give me that feedback that that would be valuable, I looked into it a little bit this week, and I think it can be done without going back onto YouTube. I mean, on YouTube, it's easy to do that, but in our current system that's on our website, it takes a few steps, but I think that could be figured out if you uh, give me feedback that that would be valuable. Um, I think it would give you a sense of community to be able to just put in the chat, hi, I'm here. And, uh, and know who else is in there with you. So uh, I can see some heads in here nodding. Yeah, that would be good. So I'm getting that feedback already, but uh, send me a note or talk to me, and uh, I'll figure out if it's worth the time it takes to figure that out, um, at least try to. Um, the other thing with, with that is um, we, we have gone, as you know, to a on the website registration for church where the government says we can have 40 people in this building now. Uh, those are hard decisions for our bar board to make. We debate them and, uh, and come to a, a conclusion that we all agree with. Um, and the purpose of that really is to give you more freedom to come because I know many of you have said, uh, and I'm looking at you at home, <laughs> Out of the generosity and kindness of your hearts, well, then I'll just stay home so others can come. And, and that's great. That's, that's exactly the attitude we should have towards one another. But with the registration, you can see how many are signed up for different Sundays. And you can, say, you can decide, well, we should be at 40 every Sunday. So, uh, so you know, sign up if, you're, if you see we're not there yet for any given service. And that way, uh, as many as possible can be here without, because uh, you are indeed all kind to one another and would gladly give a spot to someone else. And so, um, but anyways, thank you for being here, either online or here in person. And I'd like to uh, spend a moment now in prayer with you. Uh, we've prayed for our governments. Uh, we, I continue to. I hope you continue to. Uh, we've prayed for, for those who we know who are suffering at this time, either emotionally or physically. Uh, and today I'd like to lead you in prayer for our medical uh, practitioners uh, in our country. I, I was thinking about this earlier, and I jotted down some notes because there's some things I wanted to be sure I didn't forget to pray about. Uh, so it won't be just off the top of my head because I have specific things I want to pray about. But let's pray. We come before you now, O God, with the knowledge that you have created us and are also able to restore us. Because you are the great physician, we pray for those whom you have used to perform works of healing. We rejoice that your spirit leads men and women to become doctors, nurses, research scientists, medical te technicians, orderlies, and hospital staff members. We thank you and praise you for these people who work on our behalf, and we do believe that the healing that comes through their hands comes from you. Dear God, keep our minds open, both our medical people and ourselves, to new truths concerning the cause and cure of disease. Help us to realize that our talents and knowledge are gifts from you to be used in the service of all people. Most of all, we ask that you fill the hearts of the medical staff everywhere with your love, your patience, your compassion, and your endurance. We especially ask you to bless your blessing upon the medical professionals who are taking care of Brian Nelson at this moment. Keep them close to your wisdom and bring comfort and healing both for them and for Brian. 
through your Holy Spirit's power, even in this moment. May God's grace be with each and every one who cares for our sick and needy, whether they acknowledge you or not. Our Heavenly Father, you have encouraged us, in fact, instructed us to make our concerns known to you. Uh, We pray these things because Jesus has come alongside and been with us and is with us. And so it is in his name that we ask. Amen. Thank you for your prayers. And uh, just continue in prayer uh, through these days ahead. I don't have a transition from that to my next spot. But uh, we did start the story last week of, uh, of Nicholas. And uh, I was asking the question here in Christmas, what, what difference can one person make? And we, we saw, we left Nicholas with a pondering a situation. He, had, uh, he, was, he was trying to figure out what to do with what God had given him. And uh, we know that God had given him a calling to the ministry. In those days, that meant uh, going to the monastery and taking vows of poverty and and things like that. We have a little different traditions now in our church, but that's what, what the traditions were for him. And uh, so that's what he had done. But then his parents had passed away, and he had received a large inheritance, and he was pondering, what do you do when you've taken vows of poverty and you're rich? And, uh, and so he, we left him there. So we're going to continue the story a little bit more this Sunday, and then we'll finish it next Sunday. So just take a listen. And a watch. Nicholas's parents died during the plague. They were very wealthy and left Nicholas a substantial inheritance. He pondered what he should do with his new wealth. Obeying Jesus' words to sell what thou hast and give to the poor, Nicholas used his inheritance to assist the needy, the sick, and the suffering. Each night, Nicholas would disguise himself and deliver food, clothing, and money to the people of his village. He later became the Bishop of Patara. Nicholas continued his practice of generous, secret giving. Back in Patara, ruthless creditors seized a merchant's property and threatened to take his three beautiful daughters as well. The father's only hope was to marry off his daughters quickly before the creditors could take them. But without a dowry to offer prospective husbands, his daughters were unlikely to marry. All right, it ends rather abruptly due to my editing skills. Uh, But uh, we see at least the start of what Nicholas did. Uh, He began to... uh, give gifts to those who had need uh, anonymously. And, uh, and then this predicament comes up in the village of which he is the pastor. And we'll see next week what he does and where some of our tri- Christmas traditions continue to come from. Um, one thing that I wanted to just, just take out of that little bit of story we just saw as an encouragement is um, the idea of secret giving. Nicholas went to great lengths for many years to keep his identity secret in terms of who was, who was giving. Uh, the tradition tells us that in the town, when people had need, they would leave their shoes out on the, outside on the doorstop. And uh, that's how he would know where to put his coins uh, in the shoes of those who left them outside. And, um, and yet no one could figure out who was doing it. And uh, so that would be my encouragement. It's an exercise in humility. Uh, find something, maybe not just once, but many times going forward, that you could give to someone that would be an encouragement or, or would meet a need and figure out a way to do it anonymously so no one ever knows who did it. Uh, because then you will never receive the uh, praise of people for what you did. But just imagine the person who receives that gift, even if it's just a few words on a card. Um, the only person they can credit for what they've received is God. That's special for them. And then you and God will have this little secret for the rest of your life. You make a pact with God. I'm never going to tell anyone I did that. 
It could even be someone right in your, in your own house that you could do that. Figure out how to, what they need to be encouraged, to be blessed, and do something secretly. That's what Nicholas did. Uh, and um, and that, that creates, I, it, may, it lifts my heart even just thinking about that because um, the continued blessings even for the giver when, you, when it's only between you and God uh, makes your relationship with God that much more intimate and special because you have secrets that no one else knows. And uh, so I just give that out to you as a, as a something from that story, but we're going to take away uh, next Sunday the, from the rest of the story. I'm moving now into my second Christmas series. We've done three, three messages on, on between the space between the Old and New Testament. Now I'm going to look at three accounts of the Christmas, which we do most, most uh, Christmas seasons, most Advent seasons. Uh, Matthew, Luke, and John each give an account of Jesus' coming, very different from one another. So I'm going to look at some of the differences in what they, what they bring to us in a, in a special way. And this Sunday, I'm calling it Stairs. And you'll see why I'm giving it that name, that title to this sermon in a few minutes. But before we do that, let's just take a, take a look at how, just how exciting staircases can be. What you doing? Want to go down? Can you go downstairs? Yeah, they can they can be pretty exciting and and difficult to to navigate. And so uh, we we find even the stairs that Matthew gives us can be difficult, I think, to navigate, um, but exciting as well. And and that's what I what I hope to talk a little bit about. Um, I remember uh, as a child, uh, my sisters, my two sisters, are quite a bit older than than me. And uh, so they went off to university uh, before, while I was still in school, and I re- that was kind of the, my first experience with airports. Uh, we, we had to go then a couple of times every Christmas and other times, but I'm thinking of Christmas now, to the airport to, to pick them up when they flew in from the different places they were at university to come home for Christmas. And uh, my parents would find a spot to sit down. My, my parents were the kind of people that would be there two hours early. Uh, so, so we were at the airport for quite some time, uh, just in case there was a snowstorm, didn't want to be late. Uh, so so we, we would be there, and they would, because the airport is a confined space with defined boundaries, they would just let me go. And so I could just explore the airport on my own, and that was quite an adventure uh, for me at the time. I don't know if parents would do that now, but in those days that was accepted norms, and, uh, and it was grand adventure for me. Uh, so I've always had a soft spot for, for airports. And, but it's more than that. Even, even as a young boy, I recognized that airports were a place of, um, of emotion. Uh, people are leaving or returning. And that brings, fo- that, that brings joyous reunions and it brings tears. And it's, it, it was fascinating to, to, to be in that atmosphere, uh, for me anyways. Uh, and... But if we think, maybe just narrow it down, I think most airports have this kind of thing, but if we think about the one we're most familiar with, the Edmonton Airport, you know that there's a staircase in the middle of the airport. Now, downstairs, where they have the arrivals, is kind of dark and dingy, and, well, it's exciting if people are arriving that you know and love, but everyone's just trying to get out of there as quick as possible. They grab their luggage and go, but I think you see a lot of people as well that have an attitude that, you know, I've been away somewhere exciting, and tomorrow i got to go to work. And it kind of feels like that in the basement of the, of the uh, airport in Edmonton. But if you go up the stairs to the departures, um, you can tell you're in the same building. The architectural uh, structures flow through to the top. Uh, it's clearly the same place. But it's brighter and it's happier. And the people up there are in anticipation of going to Mexico or something in the middle of winter. And it's a different attitude altogether. It's a different feeling. Clearly the same place, the same building, the same functions, essentially. 
uh, but, this, but a little bit different. And uh, so that's kind of my illustration. We can even think about that here in this building. If you go downstairs, it's a little darker, a little dingier, but you can see the ends of these pillars coming through the ceiling in the basement. And you can tell you're in the same place, the same building, and uh, yet it's different. Um, and maybe the same in your house, probably the same in your house. Uh, we, could, we could tell the same people live upstairs and downstairs, but they're different. And so when we think about Matthew's account of the Christmas story, I, I think it's, a, it's an adequate a way of thinking through this that Matthew's building a staircase. He's not going into a different building. He's not starting a new story or a different thing, but he's building a staircase between what was happening in the Old Testament and what he's about to tell us. They're connected. They're part of the same thing, maybe on a different level, maybe a little brighter and better than the Old Testament, but it's the same story. And he goes to great pains as he as he navigates this staircase, connecting the two stories as one story, um, he goes to great pains to show us where, where those stairs are and where the connections are. And so we're going to look at that. But before we do that, we'll just take another look at how difficult stairs can be. difficult, a little dangerous, but the rewards might be worth it to negotiate a staircase. Uh, In this uh, puppy's case, he gets to see his mom, so that's good. Um, So we enter the story then, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, and and I'm going to just have you read it. So it's going to come across the screen, and I would encourage you to either read uh, verses 1 to 17 in your Bible, but I've got it up here. If we all read together, not out loud, just, fo- just follow along, and you'll, you'll see what's happening. This is one of those times when you can all be thankful for the situation we're in because normally I would have put a podium with a microphone down the aisle, put the scriptures readings on there and asked for a volunteer to read them. Wouldn't you have been glad if you got to read that one? You can see as as Matthew begins his story with this genealogy, uh, 14 generations, 14 generations, 14 generations to Christ that uh, he's very clearly making a connection. He's, he's very clearly um, and making it, making it uh, tediously obvious to us that what he's about to tell us is in line. It's not a deviation. It's not a different thing. It's in line with what's been happening. It's in, it's in line with what God has been doing in the world. It's just the next step. It's a step up, I think, uh, to have God actually with us instead of having to go through all the temple and stuff. But, but it's, it's a step in the story. It's the next step. It's turn the page, next chapter, same story. 
I mean, it couldn't be more obvious than, than making us read all those names that we don't know how to, how to uh, pronounce, that this is what he's doing. This is, this is the emphasis that he's making, a continuous line. It tells us that what we're about to hear is expected. It's not, it's not, um, it's not out of left field. It's not way out there. It's exactly what's expected. It's not only expected, or, or the, the background of being expected, is that it's been planned. Uh, God knows. God has been making these steps. God has been telling this story. God has been uh, laying out the activities of this story through history, and this is the next step. It's planned, it's expected, it's predicted. Every detail is here. And so, uh, he obviously... He wants us to understand this. He wants us to be unable to avoid this truth uh, that, that the story he's telling us is turning the page, going up a step uh, in the same process, in the same building. I'm mixing all my metaphors, but that's what it is. I think it's obvious. But, but if that isn't obvious enough, we just continue through the story, and we see again now as we look at... Um, the part that he tells from 18 to 24 about Joseph. So read again as the words go by. Matthew presents us a well-constructed story. And a well-constructed story leads you from where he begins to the point. And it's clear in the way this story is constructed that the point is to get to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. A virgin will be conceived and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The, the lead character in the story here is Jeremiah. The, the rest of the elements of the story are arranged to get us to Jeremiah. And he's saying, see, this is a continuation. This is the next step. This is part of the story that you already know. This is the next bit of it. The whole point of telling it in this way is to, is to bring us to that fulfillment of the prophecy, to that uh, understanding that this is what is expected to happen next in the storyline. It's not a deviation from the story. It's part of it. And he continues in that vein. If we, talk, if we, if we look at the uh, visit, visit of the Magi, we have a, a little. It's, I mean, the story is very, con, very conserved in its words, not too many words, but it's a mystery. It's presented to us as a mystery to be solved. And uh, just pay attention to how the mystery is solved Who's the main character in solving it?
Jesus. We have these men who are not part of the story. They're not in the story. And they see something that gives them an indication that there is a story. And they seek to solve this mystery. Why did this star appear? And who solves it for them? Micah, the Old Testament prophet, is the one who solves it for them. And so as the wise men uh, adjust their lives to come into this story that they're not actually a part of, uh, it's the Old Testament prophet that shows them the way, that, that gives them the clue, that solves the mystery. We can, we can sum that up in, uh, in those words from Matthew 2, verse 6, and Micah 5, verse 2. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of David, but a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Clearly, this was we're, we're meant to understand from the way Matthew tells the story that this is expected. This is the next step. And I'm starting to sound like a repeating record. But I think that's exactly what Matthew is, is, is hammering home. Okay, well, have you got it yet? Oh, no? Okay, well, let's go to the next part of the story. Uh, this is the part we often stop, but I believe it's an essential part of of uh, Matthew's narrative to, uh, to impress upon us yet again that this is right in line. It's going up the steps to, to the next uh, part of, the, of God's action in the world. So let's take a, a read of that. Again, an argument might be made that, uh, well, if this really was the Messiah, then why did it cause such suffering? And Matthew's saying, look, it's right there in Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 15. This is what we expected would happen. Uh, this, is, this is right in line. Um, all the foreshadow. You know, a good author always puts foreshadow, and you get later on in the book, and you think, oh, I get it. Okay, so this isn't really a happy moment, but it's an I get it moment. Uh, this is just like what happened the first time out of Egypt. Uh, God's people were saved out of Egypt to a promise. And now, once again, God's promise is being saved out of Egypt uh, to the people. And uh, so, so he, Matthew's just constructing this story to, to tell us this is, this is the next piece. And if we're not quite convinced yet, there's one more piece to his narrative of the nativity. And um, it goes like this. All right, I think you, you get the picture that Matthew is trying to show us. Uh, in no uncertain terms, he's telling us the story we're about to hear in the New Testament. It's not a new thing in Matthew's mind. It's the same story. Just turn the page, next chapter, go up the stairs to the other part of the house, and you'll see it's all part of the same. Um, I think that's the purpose uh, one of the primary purposes of his gos- of his advent account is to is to make this clear to us, uh, and I think it can be summarized in what Matthew writes in chapter twenty two of verse one. All of this, and I think he's saying all of this that we've just shown you, took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophets. 
all of it. And so uh, we, we have this, uh, you know, this connection that's being made. I, I know it's, you know, and he knew that it was 400 years since the last prophet till John the Baptist, but he's, he's building that bridge. He's building that staircase between the two to say, this is not just all of a sudden a new thing. This is something we've been, uh, you know, we got sidetracked with, with some things, but we're just going to turn the page now and continue the story. And that's exciting because it means that, that it's a story that is continuing even today. But there's a challenge, and this is where I want to focus our application to this story. There's a challenge in this story, this Matthew account, uh, and it's, it's brought to you in this question that I put on the screen. Does my story clash with God's story? God is telling a continuous story. And uh, he's, he's got the pieces fitting together, and it all works, and it's one step after the another, another from one place to the next in God's story. But the challenge that Matthew brings is, does my story clash with God's story? Am I like that dog that, that goes a little too fast and uh, doesn't negotiate the stairs successfully from one part of the story to the next? Um, there's two reactions that are given to us, two possible reactions to the coming of Jesus. And I think we have to... Um, we have to ask ourselves, which one is my reaction? What do I react like? Now, these, these reactions are, are, are um, kind of exaggerated. They're not everyday stories. I, I believe they're true stories of what happened, but they're, they're exaggerated stories of very important people. And maybe that's to say, uh, shake us loose from our normal thinking and get us to think in a new way and ask these questions in a different way. They're, they're kind of crazy stories. So the first one that I want to look at is the Magi, the wise men. It says, as you just read in Matthew chapter 2, when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Now this is interesting because um, we can outline their reaction in four things. They were filled with joy. They bowed down and worshipped. They opened treasures and gave gifts. And then they listened to God's direction. And did what he said and lived forward in a different way than they did before. In a way that was following God's direction. Now we don't know anything about them after that return, after that dream. But, uh, but they, went, they went away, obviously changed, uh, worshipping uh, the Savior. And I like to think, though I have absolutely no evidence of this, that when, when the disciple Andrew, who we know went east and brought the gospel east. It's not part of the biblical story, but we know from history that Andrew went east, bringing the gospel that direction. I like to think he stayed in their house, and that they financed some of his mission. I've, that's completely made up. But they were from the east, and we know he went east. Uh, you know, I, I like to imagine that there was a connection there, but there doesn't need to be. We know enough here. Uh, they, were, they, they, were, they were important people who were highly inconvenienced by the coming of Jesus. They could have stayed home in comfort, but instead they went on a journey that they had no idea, no certainty of what the outcome was going to be. They saw something that caused them to think something was happening that was worth investigating. And I think this is connected in, uh, in, in God's word to Romans chapter 1, verse 20. I don't think Paul was thinking of the wise men when he wrote Romans 1, but just listen to what he says. He says, For since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. Now, I don't know what the Magi saw, but they saw something in nature that made them see God. I don't know what it was, but it's what Romans says can happen. 
And so whatever it is they saw, whatever star, whatever they saw align, they, they, they attached a meaning to it and they went to investigate. And as they moved along that investigation, their story got closer and closer to God's story. And when they got to the baby Jesus, they bowed down and they worshipped and they gave gifts. And after that, they were responsive to the voice of God in their lives to direct them. That's quite a journey. It's quite a spiritual journey. It's quite a physical journey. But we can see that they took steps to converge their story in humility with God's story. Now in the world, they could have gained far more wealth by not giving gifts to Jesus and going back to Herod and demanding payment for the information. But instead they went the other way. And they allowed their their lives to be uh, conformed to what God was doing. And that's a pretty exciting story. But the other challenge to us is another reaction to God's story. Now, Herod's quite different from the Magi. He's living right in the center of God's story. He's, he's a king, a Jewish king in a, in a Jewish nation. He has the prophecies in the Old Testament. He's got the temple of God right there. He's, he's right in the midst of the story that God is telling. But when God turns the page and goes up to the step to the next story, as Matthew shows us, uh, with Jesus coming, he doesn't like it. He says, no, I, that's not the plot turn I had in mind. In my plot, in my story, I was going to be the center of attention. I was going to be the one that brings salvation. I don't know if he thought that, but he, he clearly had his own thoughts in mind. And, and we, can, uh, we can hear his reaction. Herod was furious when he realized the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Rather than filled with joy and bowing to worship, he was furious and murderous. He wouldn't align with the story. It was an inconvenience to him, and we can see his reaction described to us in the continuation of Romans chapter 1. We already read the first part. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds were darkened and confused, claiming to wise to be wise. Instead, they became utter fools. It could be a biography of Herod, couldn't it? It's what happens. Step by step, his story came into opposition with God's story. And it led to bad places. Pride rather than humility. Violence rather than worship. He could have accepted the story. He could have gone along with it. This is not, this is not an unusual um, an unusual predicament in God's story. We, we can think, we can see it almost everywhere. Just, just go with me for just a moment in some of the stories we know. Remember Abraham and Lot? Abraham could have chosen the good land. He could have chosen himself and pride and self-enrichment. But instead, humbly, he chose to go into the rocky mountainous land and give Lot the fertile land. Generous putting worship of God ahead of earthly gain. And Abraham went off, living in God's promise, and Lot, Lot's life went a different way towards violence and destruction. We can, we can think of Moses and Pharaoh. Again, 
Moses was off like the Magi in a distant land, uh, living his life, raising his family, I, I, I assume, fairly happy. And along comes God with a message. And uh, we see Moses, step by step, getting his life into line with the story God was telling. Now, Pharaoh had no excuse. The, the message of God was clear. Pharaoh could have been a great blessing to God's story, a participant in God's story, and saying, okay, the nation of Israel is now grown out of the seed of Abraham. It's time for them to go to the promised land, and he could have, he could have facilitated that part of God's story. But instead, like Herod, he stood in opposition. He didn't want to accept where God was going with the story. And so he stood against it. We can think even among the, the disciples of Jesus. Um, do you remember Philip, the doubting disciple? Uh, oh, yeah, you're telling me stories about a resurrection. I know Jesus could do wonderful things, but I've got to see it for myself. A little bit skeptical, not, not immediately in line with the story. Then we have Judas, who was kind of, kind of in the thick of it, kind of in the center of things most of the time, and yet at some point he decided instead to go a different way. And, um, and Philip became the one who, who first brought the gospel to North Africa. Now, he didn't go there himself, but he was in the chariot with the, uh, with the Ethiopian. And uh, so we see that kind of playing out right in the disciples. Some of them, some of them um, easily coming in line with the story, and some of them ending up, or one in particular, in opposition to the story. Think also of David and Saul, two kings. Uh, both with opportunity to serve God and then Saul uh, moving out of God's story because of his unwillingness to worship according to the way that God had instructed him through the prophet and David moving, moving into the story even though he had been uh, cast in the wilderness for many years before, before he could participate the way he had been promised to. And I think the most, uh, most interesting one of the ones I just quickly thought of was was two men who, who have two names that belong to the same man. Uh, we can tell the story of Saul and Paul. And we can, we can see how Saul was just like Herod. He was in absolute opposition to Jesus. This is not part of the story of our ancestors. And he was violently and murderously acting against the story. And then he saw a bright light. He met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he, and he changed course and aligned his story with God's story. Became a part of it. And became a, a blessing to many people rather than, than a source of violence. This is the challenge that Matthew's story, Matthew's account of the Christmas story brings to us. Am I like Herod or am I like the Magi? We could, we could, I'll, try and, I'll try and draw it for you. If this is the story of the Old Testament, Matthew shows us the story is kind of going to a new level and then it's going to continue. The Magi, well, they're over here. They're not really part of the story. They're, they're, they're in a different a different thing. They're not part of the Old Testament flow. But they see a star. And they go to investigate. And as they go, each step of the way, their story comes more and more into line with the story. Now Herod, he's in the story. He's one of the people. He's part of the nation. He's part of the promise. And when he comes in contact with Jesus... He opposes. We're not going that way. He stands in opposition. He refuses to bow. He becomes proud instead of humble. He does not worship. And his story diverges and goes a different way. And this is the choice before each one of us. I mean, it starts with that first conversation with God where we agree with God that I'm a sinner and I'm in need of a Savior because I cannot provide the payment for my own sin. 
And that's when we accept Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. If we, if we, if we don't come into alignment there, uh, we never become part of the story. But even after that, even after we become Christians, many times in our lives we have moments where, where God's continuing. Do not envy. Um, forgive one another. Confess your sins to one another. Give to those who are in need. Live in harmony with one another. Uh, you, you could list, there, there's certain parts of God's word that, that are lodged in your mind and your heart. And some of them, you're struggling, but you're working hard to come in alignment. And some of them, you're standing like Herod in opposition. I will not do that. And those are the choices we have. The story continues. It's a continuous story through all eternity. God had it planned out. Nothing's unexpected. But we have choices. And uh, they're, they're drawn out for us. These choices are drawn out to us in, in stark reality with these two, with Herod and the, and the wise men. Uh, people not like us in their, in their experience, but yet uh, confronted with Jesus and reacting in different ways. With us, it's usually smaller things. But the issue we struggle with is the same. Are we going to respond to God with pride and say, my plan's better than your plan, God? Or are we going to respond by bowing and worshiping? Those really are the only two options. It's spelled out for us in James, so I'll give you uh, one more One more scripture to read, Uh, James chapter 4. Let's see what he says. I believe that is the, uh, the dividing factor between responding to God like the Magi or like Herod. Can I humble myself? Because those are the ones God will lift up. Those are the ones God will write into his story. Those are the ones he will give direction like he did to the Magi to direct their lives. Those are the ones who worship Which one? Which one will I choose to be this Christmas? Which one is, uh, which things I should say, either directly in God's word that I've been, that I've known, or that God is directing in my life through his Holy Spirit now? Which things is he calling me to secretly encourage, as I said earlier? It's, you have to be humble to react in that way, to have a secret with God. Otherwise, you want people to know what you did. It's a good exercise to do it secretly, as Nicholas did, because it it teaches your heart humility. It's a a fascinating story, the way Matthew tells it, Uh, just just clearly and and bit by bit, uh, building this, this staircase from the Old Testament to Jesus, showing us that, that this, is, this is nothing unusual. This is exactly what was expected. It's like, uh, it's like just going from the basement of your house to the upstairs. It's a little better upstairs in most of our houses, 
Some maybe have that flipped, I don't know. Then go downstairs. Doesn't matter which direction. But uh, it's the same thing, same place, same story, same God, same salvation, same faith, same promises. Still requiring humility to enter the story and become a blessing and a part of it. And I trust this Christmas that each of us will welcome Jesus as the Magi did. With joy, with bowed knees in worship, with gifts given not for the reward we get in on earth, but for the reward we get in heaven. And then by continuing a life in sensitivity to God's Spirit's direction. Amen. Lori, would you close our time in prayer? Lord, we thank you that we can just choose, Father, that we would be like the Magi, that our eyes are on the star and we're searching and going the right direction. Father, there's many that are like Herod that just with stubborn hearts don't want to um, just open their hearts to you. And they go the other way. Father, I pray, especially in this time, that those hard hearts would humble themselves today across the world and look to the star. Jesus, Father, we just pray that your will be done. God, we know that we know that it is only your spirit that can draw us to yourself. So, Father, we just pray your will to be done. And, Lord, just help each one of us. If, we're, if our eyes are focused on so many other things, just help us to focus on you in this week ahead. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>